are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Podcast. I have had more travel than usual, so unfortunately, I was not able to release this episode yesterday, but Tuesday is the new Monday, or that's what I am going to go with this week because progress over perfection is the mantra. I'm excited to kick off this episode with the incredible Evelyn Chow, who is a senior product manager at Coursera, one of the largest innovators in the ed tech space. Evelyn is truly so magical, and she has done some amazing gigs at Uber, Capital One, Lockheed Martin, and of course now Coursera. You should definitely follow her on LinkedIn and check her out beyond this conversation because she does do some amazing public speaking and content creation and is such a wealth of knowledge. On a personal note, it has really been such a whirlwind of a month. And when I was editing this episode, even I was surprised by how raw and honest the conversation was. And I'm really so appreciative about Evelyn's ability to really go there. And I definitely went there with her revealing some of my biggest insecurities and grapples with being a woman in this super tough industry. And I'm really grateful for this podcast, for us to have these conversations, and I'm hopeful that by being open and honest, you feel seen and not alone. And I was actually listening to a different podcast, and the conversation that this guest and host were having was about how community is not a thing anymore. And it went on to speak about cancel culture and how that can be a way for people to get behind something that's bigger than them. And it was really sad to think about, but it does make me feel like there's still so much opportunity for us to turn that construct on its head and think about community and a support system in times that I think we need it more than ever. Win has really been wonderful in that sense, but I also do see a lot more opportunity for us, especially as women, to get behind each other and reach out and just grow together versus tearing each other apart. So that's what's been on my mind, and I love this conversation because I learned so much, I felt so connected to Evelyn, and it just means that we have to get creative and build spaces for us all to show up and feel seen. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it, and I hope you're having a wonderful week. Hi, Evelyn. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm a huge fan of the Win Win Network and your product box content. Thank you so, so much. Likewise, I feel like our paths have crossed in so many different ways. Um, And now just excited to really boil it down and talk about your background and your amazing experiences. And with that, something that I really resonated about with your experience is that I talk often about how I'm a career switcher. And so, um, you know, with your background, you've done so many different things and you did this large transition from marketing and enterprise analytics and optimization. And now, of course, you're a senior product manager at Corp. 
Coursera. So, you know, earlier in your career, I feel like you get so much room to play and switch around and nobody asks you questions. But as you get more senior, those jumps seem scarier because you wonder how it's going to reflect on your career trajectory. So how did you manage it most recently in your role switch or generally at this point in your career? How do you think about pivoting and switching? Yeah, thank you for that question. And you are absolutely right. It is not a linear path. And even though early on in my career, people are not asking me those questions, in my mind, I'm asking myself the same thing. Like, why am I doing this? I would say, (laughs) in general, it's driven by my curiosity. I'm always wanting to learn something. And I always wanted to have bigger impact to the next company I'm going to. So nowadays, when I talk to recruiters or interested clients, I would always go back to the story. Like, why do I see my current or my previous skill set or competencies help this future opportunity thrive Mm -hmm. or grow or make any sort of impact? And I think if you are intentional with every move you have in your career, like from marketing to analytics, Hindsight is twenty twenty. Nowadays, I feel like that's a natural switch because in For marketing, sure. you have a lot of data and you wanted to make sense of those. And then from analytics to product, it also makes sense because product managers need to use so many different data and sit through noises to figure out what is the true insight that helps unlock the customer pain points. As long as you are intentional before or during any of those changes, it will become natural telling those stories, both to yourself and to whoever asks you that question. And it's so important, right? Because often we are ourselves the people putting on limitations on ourselves. And I think that's especially prominent for women. Sometimes you are less likely to be given a chance because of the inherent biases, whereas somebody else with a a nonlinear career may be given, you know, different opportunities. So how have you navigated that? You're not just a woman in technology. You're a woman of color. You know, you've overcome so many challenges. So how have you thought about balancing, kind of figuring out when your rejections or your no's are happening because of something you could improve and, you know, feedback that you could accept? Or when you've said, you know what, there is something different going on here and I'm being rejected for maybe the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's another interesting question. And I just wanted to dial back on like your Last question, I can also see in this win-win podcast, initially you had a lot of like agency speakers on your podcast. And like throughout the last couple of years during the pandemic, I can see the divergence into like startups, products. I love it. And then going back to your question about how am I weaving in my gender intersectionality and thinking about the rejections I've received throughout my career I think more so it's less of a gender, more of a perception versus social expectation. Um, Mm. You can probably relate to this. Growing up from a different country, there are different expectations, whether from the society or from parents, that women should behave a certain way. You should keep your heads down, get your work done, don't ask too much, and be content with whatever you have. Mm -hmm. And I think... Uh, studying in the States and now this is, I can't even count, this is the like the fifth job or careers I've had. I learned throughout the process, it's more important to be respected, not liked. And I'll give you an mm-hmm. example. So when I was at Uber, it's my first like 
scrappy tech job, even though like before Uber, I worked at Capital One. So FinTech, you can argue, which I know you are very passionate about. At Uber, it's the first time I realized I'm working with a lot of like very type A type of like a male <laughs> colleague. Like sure. you will be in a meeting and then they will throw things like super pump or OG, which stands for original gangster. And they will have a lot of quote unquote hot takes. Like my hot take is blah blah blah. And I remember very vividly in my first couple of the weekly meetings with GMs, I was in the middle of a sentence, and someone would just come in and cut me off. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Do I apologize? Do I cut them off? Do they cut me off? Yeah, what is happening? Yeah. So over time, I learned like this is not really like rejection. It's more like how two people work together, and I also learned like I just have to pick my battles. So when I left Uber, if I'm in the middle of the sentence and someone just in- interject, I'll just keep going. I might pause, but I will no longer have the thought of、mm-hmm. should I apologize? Should I figure out what's happening? Did I talk too fast、totally. or too slow? So it's like I think it's an evolution. Learn from the environment and then adopt and then pick your battle. I could not relate more to that if I tried, especially because you know I read all these different blogs and newsletters and people's takes on like gender in the workplace. You know, on one hand, people are like, "Oh, lean in," and then the other people are like, "How could you lean in? You have to rip the whole thing apart." And you know, I struggle with both because, given the work that I do and given my passions, of course, I want to change the society that we live in, the you know work environments that we're in. But at the same time, I'm also passionate about succeeding within some of those infrastructures and. So I think it's super tough to navigate those things, but it sounds like you've really found your way. And I've also said that sometimes you do reach a threshold where you you could have tried all the tricks in the book, and then that environment is not right for you. So ultimately, I've said that it's okay to also one day decide I'm going to leave an environment that's not for me, and that doesn't mean I failed or wasn't able to change it because it's not always your job to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I resonate a lot with that. Instead of like changing a very like predetermined culture, like trying to fit yourself to mold a certain culture, I really like what Dabliel says in her book, "Take back your power. Don't give up, or don't give myself or yourself a free pass." And then she was quoting someone. I think her name is Shirley Chisholm. If they don't give you a seat at the table, you just bring your own、pull、folding chair. chair. Yes. So I'm like, okay, I just pull my own folding chair, even、mm-hmm. though people don't expect me to speak up or voice my opinions. I'm gonna pick my battle. If this is what I consider important, I will do that. But if other times they look around the room and find someone who wants to take a meeting note, that's fine. I'm not gonna complain about it because I also wanted to build relationship with people around me. So first of all, I'm like a Deblu super fan. I love her. I've gifted her book to like 50 people. It's like probably creepy at this point how many orders have come from my name. So I totally, I totally agree with you. And I also think that there is something to be said that. You know your relationships at work are very important, but perceptions aren't the end all be all. So I'll give an example in my personal life. I'm somebody who will be the person to ask a question at every single town hall, and I think some people who maybe you know are different than me may say, "Oh, she's doing it for political clout, or she wants to just hear the sound of her voice." 
And you know what? Those people may, you know, are entitled to their opinions. That being said, this is how I learn. I learn by asking questions, interfacing. Like I started this podcast because I just wanted to learn from amazing women like you and just talk to them all day, right? And at a certain point, well, I took note of what does this perception, like what is that go- what impact is that going to have on my career or my success with other people? And then to a certain degree, I said, the rooms that I'm meant to be in, I'm going to get into those rooms. And so at a certain point, like the likability trap is also very, very real. So yeah, another, another fine line to balance. Yeah. Another element I think that's really unique to product is that you're kind of expected to be like the expert in everything, but also a jack of all trades and and not step on people's toes. And one of the reasons I've been so excited to speak to you is because you are in this really highly innovative space in your current role. You're a senior PM at Coursera. For those that don't know, Coursera is really a big innovator and such an early player in the space of ed tech, combining traditional educational institutions and then with a format that's a lot more accessible. So personally, I think I mentioned this last time we spoke, but when I got into payments and made that career switch, I actually took a, like a, a payments Coursera with the University of Michigan, and it was one of the things that really enabled me to you know, really master the learning curve in my current company and my previous company. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan. But how did you get into that space, and, and how do you think about learning as a PM? And then we'll talk more about Coursera and some of the work you're doing there. Yeah, thank you so much for like taking the Coursera content. I'm very curious what you think of the content and the whole learning experience. I chose Coursera because of its mission. And it's also echoing my personal value, continuous learning. To just dive in a little bit deeper in terms of Coursera, when you think of traditional tech companies, there are usually like two sides, the consumer, the producer. In the landscape of Coursera, what we have to navigate is we have the learner side, we have the educator side. So the educators are the ones that produce those content. We also have to balance all the portfolios and we sell those to enterprise. So it's a really unique three-sided, I don't want to say marketplace, it's a three-sided dynamic. In Mm -hmm. terms of learning, I also feel I'm quite fortunate to be in a place where I manage our product planning. So from ideation to shaping to what gets determined to be built for the next quarter, Mm. I sort of have that bird's eye view. But also the challenge of how do business strategies get prioritized and traded off amount like given product roadmap within a quarter or within like a year. So in terms of my learning, I would say 70% percent of my learning is done at the job level. I talk to my stakeholders. um, I learn how to do things the wrong way and then correct myself. And then Mm -hmm. it's just very exciting that I think EdTech is in a very interesting intersection with so many latest technologies. When's the last time you played with ChatGPT? Like there's ChatGPT right? Uh Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of opportunities. I think there's always this notion that technology will get ahead of regulations, and it always will, but regulations will later catch up. I think we're in that space right now with AI, um, artificial intelligence, leading a lot of the innovation in tech. 
And then when you made your switches, because you mentioned you were um, in the fintech industry, you were also at Uber and at Lockheed Martin, and then obviously a lot of your previous experience was in the uh, marketing world and, and that whole space. So how did you bridge that learning gap with the industry-specific knowledge, especially coming in as a senior member of the team? Yeah, um, I would probably go back to an earlier note I made is painting the picture to connect the dots throughout my career. As a product manager, one of the greatest skills is to get things done. Execution, so like core product. I think that came from Ravi Mata, one of your former uh, guests. Mm -hmm. He talked about like this T-shape. So in my previous roles, I'm always very good at planning analytics execution, basically getting things done and getting people to move things forward. So I think that is my angle in. Like we were, when I joined Coursera, we just went IPO. There were a lot of moving pieces. We build product, but we weren't scaling just yet. So Mm -hmm. how might we do things faster, better? I think that's where... I was able to weave into my past superpower and then made a case of even though I am not coming from like a higher education background, but these are my competencies that I can help you do X, Y, and Z. And I, that's how I get my way in. And now I can talk a little bit more like I came from EdTech. I know what's going on. For sure, because you've done the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess with that, even as you speak and you explain it, I think one of the things that so many people have an, an opportunity to learn about, especially as they get more and more senior, is the articulation of this is my superpower, this is how I connect the dots. And you've also done a lot of speaking, so we'll talk about your involvement with women in product. But how, how did you get to that point from being able to connect those dots? Were there any frameworks or tools that you used to really be able to articulate your value? Yeah, I took a Reforge class uh, a couple years ago. And I think some of those very simple framework, I think it's Holland's razor or Hackham's razor. I can't remember. Whatever is the simpler explanation usually is the better. So like from MBA days, I learned all those frameworks, the four Ps, the six Ps. We are uh-huh. using that in like product planning. What is the problem? What is the persona? You just tweak the Ps here and there. But I think I would say probably in the third or fifth year in my career, I realized there are a lot of commonality. And human interaction has always been the same thing throughout. Like I learned how to deal with type A stakeholders. I learned how to get more information from very introverted engineers or how to rally the team when there are different opinions around the room. No one is really taking the shots of what we are going next. I think that's where I realized some of those previous skills that I I build up is really useful no matter where I go. Completely, completely. And as it pertains to Coursera, you mentioned that you joined the company through this IPO experience and moment. So tell me more about what it's been like, kind of that involvement and what it was like to, let's say, push a feature back then and how you're thinking about it now and how you're thinking about a company that now has a lot more stakes and pressure on it, but still really maintaining that um, agility of a smaller company and a scrappy mindset. I can do my best to talk about the early days in Coursera 
Coursera has a lot of very smart people, and most of them came from like Google or like the Bay Area. Before IPO, I would say people pretty much operate in the mindset of startups. We have a good idea, we ship it. There's not so much like process or documentation. How do we do shaping? How do we do ideation? How do we even do planning or do these kind of trade offs? I would say in the last six to twelve months after we went IPO, now the economy, the micro economy, isn't great. At the moment, so it adds more pressure in terms of how we prioritize, how we balance the trade-off between like moonshots versus roofshots, and that's where I would come in. I would like work with our product pods to determine what are some of the longer-term bets, what are some of the immediate things we need to do. In product, there's this like rise framework. What is the reach? What is the impact? How confident are you? So I would. Really hone in on the confidence. If we have higher confidence, then we absolutely should invest in those efforts. But also making sure the trade-off is executed. Sometimes we say, "Oh, we're not gonna do this thing," but it's hard to just give up on what you have already started. So really driving the accountability across the teams has been challenging, but lots of learning opportunities for me personally too. For sure, and innovation as a whole can feel so personal. You may think you have this amazing idea, and the idea on its own may have merit. But I think it's also so much about companies asking themselves: Is this the most important thing to work on, and is is this really our space to play in? Right? Like, of course, Sarah tomorrow launched self-driving cars, and <laughs> self-driving cars are awesome. But is that really the space for it to play? Is that really the you know the approach? And I won't comment since I'm not the PM. But my my assumption is no. Like I think companies need to do a really good job of figuring out where they can innovate and what innovation means to them. Yeah, and as a PM, I'm sure you are in those conversations where you debate whether something is a table stake versus like differentiator.、Mm-hmm. You can argue that for generative AI as well. Every tech companies from Microsoft to Google, like Ken Economy. Duolingo, they all have launched like recently launched like AI generated application. You can argue nowadays it becomes like a table stake. You have to have an AI generated feature for learners to use your product. But is that really the case? And then as we race towards building these kind of things, what are some of the guardrails? Like, what are we thinking about accessibility? What are we thinking about data protection? So those are. Something I'm very passionate about this quarter. I'm working on the non-sexy type of like product features, pretty much like grounding us as we move really fast. Wait, hold on a second. We should also consider these kind of things because、mm. the inclusivity is what the mission of Coursera is about. We want to provide inclusive,、uh, not exclusive, education for every everyone who seeks it. Yeah, I think that's what makes a job so exciting. I feel like I'm never going to get bored of being a product manager because there's always such interesting challenges to solve. And what I love about your background is like you talk about having such great values. In my opinion, you're somebody who clearly cares about social impact and empowerment, and you do that in your day to day role. But you've also been a big advocate in the women in product community. You've been a featured speaker at the conference. So talk to me more about why it's been so important for you to play in these spaces and these gender empowerment communities. 
Yeah, I love the women in product community, and I felt I learned about the win-win network through you. And I'm definitely interested in connecting with more community members around the world too. One thing I keep going back to is giving back. Like throughout my career, I felt I have some good mentors,、uh, coaches, and I also remember how it felt when I get rejected. Like at business school, we had this like mentorship program with like local entrepreneurs. I don't know if it's because I was an international student or my techniques back then was still a little bit like you were learning. <laughs> I was learning, yes. So I would like try to connect with my mentors, but didn't get any responses. I remember how that felt. So now, when I go to these conferences, not only do I look for connections with like-minded people, I also want to honor and make sure nobody feel the way I felt before. Like making sure they are seen, they are heard, no matter where they are in their. Career journey. I think that's the feeling I keep going back to, and that's the empowerment I wanted to give to anyone in the community, whether in women in product or win innovation. I want to. I want people to feel they are seen and heard. I so believe in everything that you're saying because even the first time we spoke and I talked to you about the podcast, I said, you know, like I, I've always really wanted to speak at the Women in Product conference, but I'm not sure should I do it. And you right away were like, yes, you have to do it. And here's what you could talk about. And something that you in, encouraged me to do was to talk about how I've built. You know communities around product, how I put out content, and it's something in my most insecure moments. I'm like, well, I'm just a communicator, but you made me feel like that's that's unique to me. That's my superpower, and so I just wanted to honestly take the opportunity to thank you and say <laughs> that it's really inspiring. Thank you so much. I also like to connect people. I should say I love connecting people in the dating sense, but I feel like I don't have that <laughs> many opportunities these days. So I like to connect people professionally. So it's like a、That's、matchmaker,、amazing. you know. So、That's、you should、amazing. definitely、uh, send your proposal next year. I appreciate that. No, definitely, I'll, I'll get ahead of the timeline、uh, next year for sure. For sure. <laughs> On that note, you've been surrounded by these amazing women and in, in this women in product community and in, in your own role.、Um, you mentioned Deb Blue, but have there been any other resources that have especially helped you in your leadership or when you're thinking about some of these issues related to gender and intersectionality that may not be as comfortable to talk about with other people? Yeah, there are. So during the pandemic, through Women in Product, I found a community called Career Climb. I think it's now be rebranded to Denali Career Ascent. And the coach, her name was Lisa Kostova. She built out this thing. It look, you're smiling. So I wonder if you heard of、yeah. Lisa Kostova as well.、Uh, so that's one. And I would say. Even outside of the community, it's the people that connected with me. So,、uh, when I was preparing for my Women in Product conference, I actually tap into a few of the board of directors I've had through Lisa's program, and I ask them how could I improve upon the content I'm producing. And I get so many wonderful feedback, like Michelle Pru from Microsoft. Suilin Yet from I think she's with Warner Brother. So many wonderful women I just met through Women in Product, and they have been just phenomenal, giving me good and hard feedback. Sometimes I need that extra push 
to yank me out of my own head. And Mm. we both know we need that sometimes. For sure, for sure. But I also think that all of these things you're talking about, they take a lot of effort, right? That self-improvement, figuring out how to best articulate your superpower, connecting with other women, writing proposals to speak at conferences. So how do you think about your orbit and where you give your energy and how to prioritize your energy? Um, And and what, what does that prioritization look like for you? That's such a good question. I don't know if I have the best answer because what you're asking is about not just prioritization, but a peace of mind. Knowing what I'm doing at the moment right now is the right decision. I would say I'm a planner. I like to get things done. So I, before, like before this year, I have like three or four notebooks. I would write down all my plans And I would do the ceremony of weekly, monthly reflection and see where I am at. But I don't know if it's because I'm getting old (laughs) or having gone through a lot of turmoil just outside of my control. Like we both know there are tech companies doing layoffs and rework like this year. And those are things outside of our control. So I reached a, I don't know if it's an aha moment or pivotal moment is that a lot of things don't matter. Like yes. no matter how much we stressed out, like, oh, I need to get this things done today. It will still be there <laughs> next Monday when you mm-hmm, wake up, mm-hmm. writing a content, producing a podcast. I feel we give ourselves so much pressure when in fact, if we just live at the moment and then focusing on one thing, Yes. That will make the experience so much better. I don't know if that's where AI would come in. You can outsource <laughs> some of those AI stuff or administrative stuff to AI, but then you then worry about the quality of the, the For content. sure, for sure. There's still things you got to do. I think it's equilibrium and then learning through all the mistakes and then really feeling the stress and toll. Like I would say midway through the pandemic, I reached a point that, I was depressed. I can feel my body tensed up. And that's when I realized, why not live at the moment? Why not live at the present? Why do I have to think about what do I need to do tomorrow, in a week, mm-hmm. in a month? It's just too much. And, and, it's, and it's also about really believing that things are going to work out because you have the right ingredients. Maybe you didn't do that email on a Friday, but whatever that reason is in your head of why you have to do the email on a Friday, ultimately things will still work out because you're a talented, smart person. And I think that it's so scary to just say that out loud and, and live it <laughs> and believe it. I think like I went through a phase too where I was putting out sometimes two episodes a week for this podcast on top of my day job. And it takes a lot of time, not just the interviewing, but the preparation, the editing, putting it together. And I want to do it well, right? And at a certain point, I got to the point where I said, I need to do this in a way that's going to be sustainable and right for me because I will burn out. I will get depressed. So I I, I think that sometimes the universe does the prioritization on your behalf. Yeah, and then you just have to listen to it instead of fighting for it. I remember one of the episodes, I can't remember who you were interviewing. You were in Israel, like spending time with your family. I was like, what is the time zone difference, first of all? Seven hours. (laughs) You are amazing, Zoya. I give you a lot of credit for doing what you do, and I think it's very meaningful to the community. 
Thank you so much. And, and right back at you. And thank you so much for coming on. So before I do let you go, I'll ask one last question. And that is a question we ask all of our innovators. Where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? I would take, tackle the one year and one month and 10 years together because I do think they are connected. A month from now, I will be home with my family. I'll be in Taiwan and it will be like 12-hour time zone difference. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm still trying to work U.S. hours. So we'll see if it doesn't kill me this time. Wow. Uh, but where I see myself in 10 years is to continue expand and skill how I share knowledge and inspire other people and also like build community. So I was thinking this the other day. I was wondering if the Win Innovation Group has any members in Taiwan? I had the same question for women in product because I feel the difference in culture, how business mm. is conducted is so fascinating. If I totally. can inspire someone here in the States, I wonder what kind of stories and connections I will be able to tell or co-create with them in another country. So that's where I'm thinking in terms of like industry-wise, I think a year from now, everyone probably will still be in the AI rat race. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping 10 years there will be some sort of equilibrium. Like how is artificial intelligence make us more productive, but also there is a safety security in mind baked in ethically. Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. It's it's like with all things innovation, like you do need that equilibrium so that it makes a positive impact at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. This is one of the funnest conversations to date. <laughs> You're amazing. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Soya. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.